Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where you talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. All right, it's Thursday. Welcome to the show. Glad you're with us here today. We're going to talk a little bit about tipping to open up the show today. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we, we, we talk about tipping... I don't want to say all the time. We don't do anything all the time, but we we talked about we talked about tipping before. But the problem seems to be getting worse instead of getting better. So I thought maybe, especially with the holidays here now, right? When you start tipping people you don't normally tip, like for example, if you have a landscaper who cuts your grass, you tip your landscaper. If you have somebody who cleans your house for you, do you do you tip them? How much do you tip? Do you give them a percentage of what they Making an average week? Do you um, do you pay them if you pay them on a monthly basis? Do you like tack a hundred bucks or whatever onto whatever you pay them on a monthly basis? How does that work? How does that work? And not everybody and not everybody does it. Some people are generous tippers. I like to think of myself as a fairly generous tipper, and some people aren't. But the headline got my attention: Tipping backlash begins. Average gratuity dropped by seven percent last month. As Americans tire of being nagged by despised screens at unlikely locations, including bridal boutiques. What the H-E double hockey sticks is that all about? Bridal boutiques? With the money that they charge for wedding dresses, they feel compelled to, to throw a tip or ask you to tip on top of that? I mean, for most of us, other than, again, that once-a-year tip that you may give around the holidays, for most of us, tipping still revolves around restaurants. And the thing that I've noticed about restaurants is how everybody, you know, the tip jar is gone, right? I, I think I think there was a realization a number of years ago from just about every restaurant that, that tip jars don't work. Very few people, if any, put money in the chip jar. In, in fact, I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts that your average tip jar, if you take a look at it, it's got cash in it. It was probably put in by what I would call seed money, by the owner or by the employees to try to, you know, oh, see, other people are tipping. I should tip, too, to get you to tip. But I don't think it really works in all practicality. So now, no matter what kind of a restaurant you go to, there will be a, especially if it's a self-checkout kind of a thing, or at the register. For example, uh, when I go out to breakfast, at one of my breakfast places that I go to, you have to, you can't pay your wait person. You have to take your bill and go to the cash register up front, and you have to pay it there. And when you pay with a credit or a debit card, a screen, a tip screen will automatically come up. Now, I don't mind this tip screen because it, it has 
custom tip if you want to you know tip whatever amount you want to tip and it has a no tip button a lot of these restaurants in particular a lot of these businesses now that have these these um, screens these tipping screens they don't have a no tip there's a, not a no tip button you have to go on to custom tip and put in zero in order to be able to get out of it and most people don't, right? So maybe that's what they're betting on, that most people don't, that even if you're not inclined to tip, that you would at least hit the 10% button just to get through the screen because you don't know what else to do. Now, in my case, see, I tip with cash. I don't I don't tip on my card. I tip with cash. So I constantly hit the no tip button, um, or, or if I have to, custom tip zero, zero, because I'm tipping with cash. And the reason why I tip with cash is I, I really do believe, you know me in, in, in federal regulations, I really do believe that you know the, the federal government is trying its level best to crack down on people who employ uh, people who get tips for a living, where the majority of their money comes from tips. And they're trying to figure out how they can get a bigger piece of the action. Is if these people waiting tables in restaurants are somehow fat cats that are you know sending out a whole bunch of money that the, the IRS hasn't been able to get its hands on. So I like tipping with cash because then it's, then it's up to the... The the, the 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 staff employee the the waiter the waitress whether or not they're going to report everything they made and of course they're they're probably not reporting their cash tips right they're only reporting the tips that they get uh, via credit card that they have to take credit for that, that where there's a paper trail so the thing that's really seemingly hurt though because again if it's down seven percent then people are rebelling against something are they rebelling against inflation? In other words, I'm getting even less food than I got before. I'm paying a lot more for it. I'm not going to tip 20% or whatever it is on these new prices. I'm going to tip 20% on the old prices, not on these new inflation-driven prices. That might be part of it, but I think a bigger part of it is what I was just describing. There was a, and I'll give you an example. There's a restaurant in Alaska where the guy, a guy took a picture of the, of the check out there, right, where the, uh, where the tip comes, comes up. And you have to select what you want. Um, this one had 20%. You take whatever the bill is. In this case, the bill, $37.25. And it gave 20%, $7.45. Good. 30%, $11.17. Great. 50% option, eighteen sixty-two. Wow. And then 100% best service ever, $37.25. Who's going to tip 100% of the bill? I guess this way, when you hit 20%, you think you got a deal, right? <laughs> when re- when the reality is 20% is their minimum. There is no there is no way to get out of it. Um and and by the way, also in addition to the 100%, it's got another the biggest bar on it is select tip $37.25. So they're trying to get some people Convince them that they need to tip 100% of the bill. And I think, I think a couple things happen when, when, as a restaurant in particular when you do something like that. Is people get angry. They don't want to have anything to do with you. Would you go back to a restaurant like that? They would have to have amazing food for me to go back. That would drive me insane. 100% tip? You're going to ask me to tip 100%? What am I, an A-list Hollywood actor? What, are you kidding me? Yeah, I don't see that working. So there you go.
seven percent down, and I, and again, I, I I think it's a combination of the inflation and and we're just irritated. We're irritated with the whole tip thing. There seems like we're, we're we're getting to a point where we need to find a better way, right? Do we do we need to move to a tipless society? Would you be willing to pay more? And that's the other problem, right? Um, I don't know in in this increase of prices, and we've seen some massive increase of prices at restaurants. I have no idea if they're just covering their cost, if they're building an extra cost. You know, if 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 they if they've noticed that as they increase the menu prices that we're still coming anyway. So they're seeing how high they can jack them up before it hurts business. I, I really got to wonder about that sometimes. All right, we're going to take a quick little break here. Sherry Sylvester's right around the corner. She's with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. No doubt you've seen all the feedback lately, right, about these university presidents, Harvard's president in particular, not standing up to Jewish genocide, having protesters on campus, students, you know, promoting Jewish genocide and refusing to do anything about it. There's been a lot of backlash on this. Sherry's in education. We'll ask her about that coming up next here on AM 950 KPRC and the Jimmy Bird Show. We're going to talk about is it we haven't talked about it already. Where's that? Everybody in the world hasn't talked about it. I, I guess I'm, even I'm a little bit surprised that the, that the amazing amount of coverage those three university presidents have gotten, the ones that testified in front of Congress, the president of uh, Harvard, MIT, and Penn, you know, all Ivy League schools um, or I, Ivy League quality schools, and what's been going on on their campus with protesting going on, and some of their students calling for Jewish genocide. And then they get asked about it in front of Congress, and they ham and they haw, and they want to give answers like, well, it depends on the context. Does this, does this break the code of conduct for your students? It depends on the context. We had one uh, president who stepped down, I assume forced down, and then the other two who are still in place. I guess if you're the president of MIT, you're just glad that you're not getting the same attention the other two presidents got, because so far nobody said anything about her. Sherry Sylvester, who's been involved in education, I want to say her whole life, is a distinguished senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Sherry, welcome back to AM 950 KPRC. Let me get your take on this. Do you think that what those presidents said in front of Congress, first of all, are you surprised that they whittled around the edges so much and seemed unwilling to directly confront the issue and answer the questions? No, I'm not at all surprised. Those presidents are in the ideology of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as we know, that divides the world into two kinds of people, oppressors and the oppressed. And Jewish people are uh, not, not in the oppressed group in that dichotomy. But, you know, it really doesn't matter. Uh, if, they, if the presence had been asked, uh, is uh, threatening violence against any group of people based on their identity against your code of conduct, the answer is yes. I mean, th- th- it was an easy, easy question. And uh, it was a real demonstration, Jimmy, I think, of just how far gone our universities are that those women couldn't answer. Do you couldn't think, answer do you, that question. How much do you think is their own personal philosophy or belief system 
or or, or that of their staff or just the, the you know the the influence of the university community if you will how much of it was that and how much of it is just kind of tantamount to lawyering up in other words taking advice from the university's lawyers and in, in as far as how they should be answering these questions i they clearly lawyered up and uh and jimmy you can appreciate this i mean the the Part of the problem was that the congresswoman asked the wrong question. Of course, in America, you can say whatever you want to. I mean, we have free speech on college campuses. You can't threaten people, but you can say whatever you want to. So they had clearly lawyered up. But they really, I believe they really believe that. They are, uh, they do not support the state of Israel. You know, the, the, their support for Hamas, they're coming out of the, the uh, war and immediately on American campuses, including Harvard, 30 groups at Harvard signed on condemning the U.S. government for supporting Israel. So they, the way they are taught to think, somehow they figured out that Hamas was the good guys in this fight. You know, they got on the side of the terrorists against the U.S. government. So, yeah, I think it's their mindset, Jimmy. I don't think that they were just taking the advice of their lawyers. These people, it's, and it's, it's, I've been saying it's not just the Jews that they're coming after. This is a part of the whole war on America, the war on the West. They, that's not what they believe. They, they believe America is, uh, Built by slaveholders, and that's the philosophy that we're still pushing today, and they're against it. They're on the other side of that. So that's just who they are. Yeah, and and I'm guessing, you know, their problem with with, um, supporting Jews is probably as much the fact that it's it's kind of been a traditional American value to have support for Israel and for the Jewish people. And they're they're against seemingly anything that is traditional American values. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, we've seen this... uh, it's it's uh, we've seen this at uh, in Texas universities too. You know the, the uh, Jewish people are not uh, included in the groups of the oppressed, and you know we saw at Texas A and M that they uh, their diversity, equity, and inclusion folks decided they weren't going to hire any more Asians because Asians weren't having a rough enough time, and they really weren't minorities. So I mean, you just get this wacko thinking. Yeah, you know, and, it's funny you, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Texas A and M. They just hired a new president who who's making all the right overtures now that he's president. But he's a big supporter of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. He he's he's a believer in the oppressed versus the oppressors. Well, it's I think that I I agree. There's a lot of concerns, and I think a lot of us have a lot of questions to ask the president of. Uh, of A&M about his uh, past uh, adherence to DEI and even things that he said since he's been president. Jimmy, I think that people just get confused about this. All of us want to, we want every kid in Texas, regardless of where they come from, to be able to go to our taxpayer-funded universities and to do well. And if they need help, if they need tutoring, if they need uh uh, you know, support, scholarships, whatever. We want them to get it. But that's not what DEI is. DEI is 
indoctrinating those students into thinking that the deck is stacked and that if they have not done well, then uh, it's because they're living in a racist country. And you can see that deck being stacked with the president of Harvard, who got to be president of Harvard, producing almost nothing. I read something last night. You remember when Larry Summers was the president of Harvard and uh, they he was asked to resign because he suggested that uh, there might be a reason that there were more men than women in math and sciences. He had produced more scholarship, which is the currency of, of academia, in one year than President Claudine Gay has produced her entire career. You know, and her degree is in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, mm. Yeah, I mean, we should never confuse equity and equality. Those are two very different things, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, but this has been, I think, if there's a a good thing coming out of it. Uh, my colleague at the Heritage Foundation in Washington called these hearings the Zoom moment for higher education, just as parents saw uh, during the pandemic how badly their kids were doing in school because they started watching the teachers on the Zoom. This was a way for us to see this is who these campuses are. This is what they believe. Yeah. They can't I, I, answer an easy question like inciting violence, yes or no. Yeah, that, that, that really is, it, it's still amazing. I, I think that's why we're talking about it so much, don't you? It, it's, it's such a head scratcher. It, it just seems like, what? <laughs> how can you, how can you, if, if, if there's a line in the sand, that's got to be the, where the line is, right? When you're calling for the extermination of another race of human beings, that has got to be everybody's line if you've gone too far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, there's all kinds of ways. I mean, the University of Chicago doesn't take a position. They have a, They feel like universities shouldn't take a position on issues. If they had made that commitment, they could have just said, look, we don't have a position. Our students can say whatever they want to say. Well, we probably would have bought that because we believe in free speech. But, uh, but these are people on the Harvard campus if you misgender somebody, if some man thinks he's a woman and you call him, uh, don't call her him she, you know, you can get fired for that. They won't let you speak there if you say that. Yeah. You know, you mentioned free speech and, a couple of times here. Harvard University, I think, isn't Harvard recognized now as, as the college campus with the least amount of free speech? Absolutely. They, they kick people out of there who, uh, who they don't agree with. Uh, uh, Brennan, remember Brennan used to be head of the, the CIA. They shouted him down, uh, just said the CIA, CIA and the terrorist group wouldn't let him speak. Uh, they they uh, believe like 80 percent, it might be high 70s, of Harvard students believe that it's OK to even be violent to stop someone from speaking that they don't agree with. So far, Sherry, I think the, the main pushback has been from well-heeled donors, people, people who graduate, alumni who graduated from those universities who donate millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, uh, that's probably what costs Penn, you know, uh, Penn's uh, president her job is the fact that about $100 million worth of donations just all of a sudden disappeared because of what she had done. Um, is that enough to change things at the university level? I'm thinking a place like Harvard, no, because Harvard's got more money than they know what to do with, don't they? 
Right. Yeah. Harvard. Harvard has uh, more money than God. And you know, remember Penn. Penn is the, the alma mater of Leah Thomas. You know, so it's not the first time they've been hit with this. I think the donors are a piece of it. But you know where I expect they'll come back with, Jimmy? I, I expect they'll come back and say, well, we can't let our donors determine where our policies are. So there may be some blowback from that. And there, are, there already is against Ackerman, and who's trying to lead the charge at Harvard. Uh, but, but that's a piece of it. I think the big piece of it will be if people stop going there. You know, uh, I'm, I... Uh, I have a friend in Austin, uh, a, uh, a rabbi, who tells me that when he was growing up, all his mother said to him was, go to Harvard, go to Harvard. You've got to do whatever you do to get to Harvard. And, of course, I, I think uh, Jewish students will stop going there. But I think lots of people will stop going there. It, it doesn't have the cachet, the prestige that it used to have. This, this ended that. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting to me, too, to see how popular all of a sudden trade schools are becoming. As, as more and more parents are realizing that you can go out and earn $200,000 a year as a master plumber and and never be able to achieve anything close to that with your with your college degree, even, even a Harvard degree, if it's in something that's not particularly valuable, like, I don't know, theater <laughs> or, or, or one of the literary uh, applications, you, you, you cannot make that kind of money. So maybe, maybe competition with the private sector is the answer to all this, too. As you said, if you lose enough students, maybe at some point in time you wake up. Sherry, thanks for coming on the show today. Good to have you. Appreciate it. Great, Jimmy. Thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Always to enjoy it. Always enjoy it. Let's get you back soon. That is Sherry Sylvester, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. As expected, the Fed's wrapped up their meetings with without a rate increase. You know, they held held the held pad on the current interest rates. And that was welcome news by Wall Street, and I think welcome news by most Americans, too, because we're starting to see some movement in the right direction as far as interest rates go. Uh, those of you who have been shopping for mortgages, my mortgage guy, Rick Lorfing, uh, texted me last night and said, hey, just thought you should know that mortgage interest rates, 30-year loans are now down around 6.5%, and of course, they were up near 8% not that long ago. You know, the, the, the mortgage rate fell by just over 1% in just a week. It's amazing how quickly things can change. Derek Kinney joins us, financial expert with Good Money Framework. Welcome back to the show, Derek. Um, have you ever seen interest rates fall that much in one week for, for home mortgages? No, this is shocking on a couple levels. But one thing we've seen is people on Wall Street have been watching the bond market. And when that drops below a certain level and we have positive economic news on top of that, that's what contributed to this. This unexpected good news really had a positive impact in a short amount of time on interest rates. When it comes to home loans, I know I know they're tied to Treasury bills and not directly tied at all to what the Fed does. But I, I have to wonder sometimes if if they're maintained as either artificially high or artificially low, uh, depending upon how banks feel about writing home loans. In other words, when they get nervous about things, do they have a tendency to leave mortgage interest rates a little bit higher than maybe what they should be based on the Treasury bills, if for no other reason than they don't really want to do home loans right now? 
Well, that's a great concern, and I think many people worry about that. Is there sort of a, a conspiracy at play in terms of how interest rates are set? For the most part, that's governed by the Fed. Now, what banks can do and credit unions locally is they can raise the borrowing requirements for people, and that's often how they limit the number of home loans, car loans, business loans they make just by their own internal sort of qualification numbers. But in terms of the Fed, that rate is across the country. And there's really not much manipulation there, except for how the Fed governors feel about the economy and what they think the future best option may be for consumers. You know, Derek, we kept waiting for the recession that never really came. Um, you know, we, we, we had, I guess we, we did have two consecutive uh, quarters of negative growth a while back that would qualify as a recession, but that turned around rather quickly. Usually what has to happen in these situations, especially for inflation to go down, is we have to start seeing job losses. We haven't really seen job losses this time around. Does this, does this mean to you that we're going to get what the Fed likes to call a soft landing? Well, we may see a soft landing. Keep in mind, though, job losses are a, what's called a lagging indicator, Jimmy, meaning most companies wait until the very last bitter end to let people go. So don't be surprised if we still see some companies right-sizing, downsizing, letting go, whatever the term is that's politically correct for the day. So even if people are with a big company right now, still be on alert, even though the economy may be picking back up, companies still have to report to shareholders. They want to keep their internal costs, especially payroll, which is their number one expense in most cases, as low as possible. So if you're working for a big behemoth company, now more than ever, save, reduce your debt, and have a rainy day fund in case something happens to you. Well, and that's where we get into our poor, poor habits, right? You know, we, we're carrying a mountain of credit card debt as a nation right now. We've got people who are, in order to be able to maintain their lifestyle, having to, had to deal with inflation and to keep taking family vacations and doing the things they want to do. They're putting it on their, on their charge cards. And of course, the, the federal government, it, nobody says a worse example for that than the federal government about spending money that you don't have. So, um, <laughs> You know, I, I guess the only way that changes is if you lose your job and all of a sudden you can't pay your bills, right? Well, that's exactly right. And Uncle Sam sort of gives the message that, you know, do what I say, not as I do. They are certainly not the poster child for death reduction. But we know the worst vacation is the one you took last year, but you're still paying for it next year. And that doesn't leave the best vacation memories. And so what I would tell people is, look, most people want to have experiences and they need that emotional release away from their job, but you want to do it in a way that's friendly to your budget and that you can live with financially. So that might be a staycation, that might be reducing the expenses. But what I would suggest people do, especially in the new year, Jimmy, is bring your family together and begin to talk about here's how things are doing financially for our family and even ask your kids, as crazy as this sounds, enroll them in identifying ways as a household, hey, what could we do to save money as a family? You might be surprised by what your kids or your teenagers say, and now they have a vested interest in helping the whole family save money, especially if we want to save money to do something fun. Now they really want to help. But it also teaches some valuable and I would say practical financial lessons that they're not taught in schools. You know, this is where I go into grandpa mode, <laughs> Derek. But but if, if, as a young child, I remember 
My parents, they, they didn't have credit cards. The only credit cards that really existed, I don't think there was a MasterCard or Visa yet. Um, the only credit card that really existed was there was a few stores that had their own credit cards. Uh, but my parents didn't have any credit cards. If, if we wanted to take a vacation, they put money away in savings. And when they got to be enough money to take the vacation, then you took the vacation. If we could somehow figure out how to get back to some of that, I mean, it's hard to turn back the clock that far. But if we get back to some of that, we'd all be a whole lot better off, wouldn't we? Well, we would. And, you know, old school is often the best school. Here's what I would tell you, though. I'm not the person that says have zero debt. I like to use my credit card personally as a tool. And what I tell people is only put on that credit card what you can safely and assuredly pay off 30 days from now. That way you're floating the money. Most people put it on there hoping they'll have at least a portion to pay off. And that's when they dig themselves a huge credit card hole. So, again, right now, as 2024 approaches, I think the best financial goal people can have is set a debt reduction goal with you and the person you love the most. That way, when you're tempted, when you see the thing on sale that you want, but you really don't need it, go back to the sticky note and remind yourself, we're saving money to get us to a better place. And also identify, Jimmy, what is at stake? If we don't cut our debt, this might affect our kids not going to college or us not having the retirement we want or not doing the things that we want to do. So when you can tie a negative stake to it, it makes that process of the decision making a whole lot easier. Derek Kinney's with us, financial expert with Good Money Framework. Is it is, is it as simple in, in some cases, Derek, as setting goals, writing down goals, setting goals, and then going about trying to achieve those goals? If we kind of lost that as part of our, our, our household budgetary plan? Well, I wouldn't say it's simple, but I think it's the necessary first step. And we know, based on research, I'll tell you a quick story, psychologists have told us that if you write down a goal in January and never look at it again until December, you're about 50% more likely to achieve that goal than if you had never written it down. It's simply because the one-time memory of doing that guides you toward your goals. And so I think goals are like a roadmap. It's like a GPS for our finances. And when you look at your goals, it's important to every quarter or monthly have a date night, again, with the person you love the most and review how are we doing. And what I find is when people have their money on track, a little personal here, when their money is on track, often their marriage is really on track as well. And those two things become a superpower to begin really making and saving money together as a couple. Well, money's still the number one reason people get divorced, isn't it? Money sex, lack of communication, all of those, but money is probably the biggest culprit of all. And it's often because people have insecurities themselves. A quick story, I met with a couple in my office a couple years ago, and they were always arguing, just always at each other's throats. They really couldn't figure out why. And as we began to delve deeper into the questions in their past, separately growing up, they were all told that money was bad and without money, Life wouldn't be what they wanted it, and they were told there's the haves and the have-nots in life, and they were part of the have-not side of things. So they grew up thinking that money was always going to be a struggle, and what we talked about as a couple was let's set some goals where they both came together on common ground as a couple. Once they came together, set goals together, it changed everything. They no longer were the enemies. They were both on the same team fighting together financially. Well, that's a good story to end end on. Derek, always good to talk to you, sir. Have a Merry Christmas, and thanks for being on today. We appreciate it.
My pleasure. Thank you, Jimmy. You take care. Derek Kinney, financial expert with Good Money Framework. Hey, have you heard about this um, gift card scam that's going on? Gift card scam. Uh, where the gift card you buy at the store, you try to use it, and it's been drained because a thief has already accessed it and taken the money out of it. More on that story coming up next year on AM 950 KPRC and the Jimmy Barrett Show. Here's, here's something I, I feel compelled to warn you about. Are you buying gift cards for anybody for the holidays? You know, I hate to say it, but gift cards, it, 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 it's its the easy thing to do. It's the easy thing to do. For example, uh, my sister just sent some home-baked cookies. I love her cookies. She, she makes all of mom's cookies that mom used to make for Christmas. And she shifts me a little care package of those, and then she throws in a gift card. And... This year, the gift card was for Taste of Texas. She knows how much I love Taste of Texas. See, people think that gift cards are not very personal, and that's not true. I don't think that's true at all. I, I think if you know what the other person likes, then you can go ahead and send them the right thing. And and, and I sent her and her husband, Chuck, uh, a gift card for the Baltimore Ravens team store. They live in Baltimore, and they're big Ravens fans. They have season tickets, and they go to, go to all the games. So I know, I know in her case she'll love it because you know she can go ahead and you know pick out some new swag for for the Baltimore Ravens. So gift cards, gift cards can be personal as long as you put some thought into what it is and what the other person likes or, or find a way to give it a personal touch. The bad part of gift cards right now is not the gift card itself; it's it's whether or not there will be any money on it <laughs> once you activate it. There, there's a there's a scam going around. And it's going. It's happening all across the country, including right here in Houston. In fact, here's a great example from our uh, TV partner, KPRC Two. Here is a woman here in Houston who bought a thousand dollars worth of Walmart cards, only to find out there wasn't a thousand dollars on the cards. Here we go. Well, I'm part of a Sunday school group, and we belong to Memorial Drive United Methodist Church. So every year we go and buy Walmart cards that cover incidentals for our families to go along with the presents that we give them. So on Monday, I went to the Walmart at um, Westheimer in Kirkwood, and I purchased $1,000 worth of Walmart gift cards. Um, the next day, I always take the activation code and I uh, tape it on the back of the card so that the person that receives it realizes that, yes, this is how much money they have and this is that it has been activated. Um, when I tried to do that, I realized only one card, the activation code, matched the number on the back of the card. So I had three cards there worth $800 that the activation codes did not match the number on the back of the card. So I went over to the Walmart and I talked to, I think what you'd call probably the floor manager over there. And um, we, they, they needed to see the receipt. They needed to go look at the camera footage that showed, yes, I actually purchased the cards. Uh, we ran the cards through and one card had already been, um, I don't know whether you call it drained. Uh, all the while the cards have been only in my possession. So the question was, how does this happen? And if this has happened to us, 
who else is this happening to? Uh, because what you have to do is you pick up the cards basically around the register areas, but you have to go to the money center to actually get the cards activated. So they have you on camera. They, they can go back and look at the camera. They can see that, yes, it was you. You were purchasing these cards. They wanted to see my receipt. Um, and then after that, it was like, well, we're going to have to look into it. So when I went back, um, they said, yes, they had seen camera of, I think, somebody act using the card at the Wayside, I think it was the Wayside Walmart. Um, and I asked to see, the, talk to the general manager of the store that I was at, and they said, well, you know, he can't talk to you. Anybody else got a pee? <laughs> She's got like a water fountain on something like that on in the background. And and I love water, water fountains in particular, because they're very peaceful and relaxing, but they also make me pee. <laughs> anyway, um, you see what's going on there? And, and, and the burden of proof is on you as the, as the customer, the person who actually purchased the cards, not on the thief. The burden of proof is on you. Good luck getting the money back. It, 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 at the very least, it's going to be time-consuming. All right, so here's the other part of the question. How do you avoid having this happen to you? Here is a piece we found on, uh, on a, uh, a, a television news report coming out of Arizona on how to avoid gift card scams. On Your Side has been exposing gift card scams for years, revealing the method scammers use to steal your money. But like everything else, gift card scams have evolved. Years ago, gift cards had very little security measures, so retailers started adding scratch-off security strips on the back. When the scammers learned how to beat that, retailers moved to enclosing the entire card inside of a sealed cardboard case. Well, now scammers have even found ways around that. So you're encouraged to make sure the gift card you buy has not been tampered with. This video recently went viral illustrating just how important it is. In the video, a California police sergeant explains scammers are actually taking unpurchased cards home, carefully removing them from the packaging, and then cutting the activation code off. Then they wait for you to pick that card off the rack and load it with cash. Remember again, this is the code that gives you access to the money to the person that you give the card to. And they take the bottom half of the card, which really means nothing now, put it back into the envelope, re-glue it shut, and just like that, you have a brand new gift card that you think that you're getting for your person for Christmas. So again, before you buy a gift card, carefully examine it. Either feel for the entire card, it should be the same size as a credit card, or with the permission of the store, when you go up to purchase these, as you're purchasing them, remove them from these folders and actually take the card and make sure that the whole card is there. To keep from becoming a victim, experts recommend avoiding gift card racks altogether. Instead, buy them from behind the counter or online directly from the retailer's official website. Or you can you know, send a gift card, an e-card gift card, instead of getting one from the store. I, I think... The gift cards that this is most likely to happen to you if you buy them in a in a grocery store or what have you, it is going to be you know cards that are more generic like a Visa card or a Walmart card or something that's good for an all-purpose store kind of a thing. I think if you're buying like for an individual restaurant, like you've, you've got like a you know Papa Do's card or or whatever, less likely I would think to get stolen. I would think that these thieves want cash and merchandise versus wanting food. So I think you're pretty good there. But I think I think the advice is well said. If you can 
purchase the card. If you're going to give it locally and you want to have a physical card that you're going to get on you, you know, get it from behind the cash register, from behind, you know, from, from behind where thieves would have access to it. And I think if you can do that, you can probably avoid a whole lot of problems. All right. Hope you found some of that helpful anyway. Got to, got to, you know, watch your wallet here during the holidays. We got to run. Have yourself a great day. I'll be back uh, tomorrow morning, Friday morning, bright and early at 5 a.m. with Sheriff Fryer on News Radio 740 KTRH. We are back here at 4 on AM 50, KPR 9, uh, AM 950 KPRC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.